Hey, Cross United, so glad you joined us for this online message. Uh, we're going to be in John 13, 31 through 32, so I want to encourage you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to that passage. And we're going to be talking about 14 things you didn't know about the glory of God. And uh, while you're doing that, I want to remind you, you can go to crossunited.org. And at crossunited.org, you can click online check-in. That will take you to our digital connection card. You can let us know a little bit more about yourself and also let us know ways we can be praying for you. Also there at crossunited.org, you can click on the top right-hand corner of the menu bar, the Give tab. That will take you to our secure online giving platform. If you consider Cross United your church home or you just consider yourself a generous person, give and give generously, we ask to and through your local church. This is the year uh, we need to work toward becoming self-supporting. All right, there in John 13, 31 through 32. If you uh, have a membership to a Costco or a Sam's Club, then you know the experience of while you're buying, you know, 14 bottles of 64 ounce ketchup containers and saving you know 14 cents each on them you know that as you walk through the store there are always those ladies at those little podiums those little uh, kiosks with samples of their frozen meatballs or salmon pate or some sort of new flavored cracker or chicken seasoning and and i know Many times, and as I've gone into one of those stores, maybe like me, you've done the same thing, you can end up eating so many samples that you're not even hungry for the $1.50 hot dog meal after you're done shopping. Well, in this discussion, what, what we're going to do is we're going to do something like a sampler uh, of the most important theme that John discusses and really the most important theme of the entire Bible. And that is the theme of the glory of God. In this section of John's gospel, we're, we're entering into that. We've entered into that last night where Jesus has uh, just circled up with his disciples. He's washed their feet and he has expelled Judas, the betrayer, from the fellowship. And now he's getting in to the most important thing. And this is what he says. When he had said, when, excuse me, when he had left, Jesus said, Judas had left, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. The, 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 the verb for glorify here, doxazo in, in Greek, uh, occurs five times just in these in these two short verses. And, and what we're talking about is the glorification of Christ as the incarnate Son. And uh, we're going to see later that that this is uh, the, the human nature of Christ being being glorified and in that God's nature, both the the Son's divine nature and the triune Godhead's nature being glorified. What is the glory of God? I asked, I kind of crowdsourced this question this week on, on social media, and I got a bunch of great answers, some quotes from well-known theologians, uh, other, other people with, with lots of, of really good answers. And, uh, and one of my favorites, uh, maybe my, my favorite, was uh, someone who, who serves in a historically black congregation, and they said, uh, the glory of God is when God shows up 
and shows out. The glory of God is when the character of God, who God is, turns outward. When people, when, when, when the glory of God is, when, when who God is, is displayed and people can see it. it, it it's his holiness and his, his greatness displayed for people to see. Um, the, 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 the word in Hebrew for glory is the word kabod, which, which literally means heavy or weight. Another, um, professor, a friend of mine said the the glory of God is the gravitas of his character, the heavy, the weightiness of his character. The glory of God sits at the center of Christ's concern in his final hours with his friends and followers before he goes to the cross. And it should sit at the center of our concerns as well. Um, some, some, something so close to the heart of Christ, at the, at the very center of what he's, he's wanting to display, should be at the center of what we want to display. At Cross United, we say that we exist as a church to help people find life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission. And all of that is just another way of saying that we exist to bring glory to God in Christ. That is, people are brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when people are brought together in authentic community, and when they're sent out on the joyful mission that God has for them in the world, they receive the life God, they experience the life that God has designed them for, and in that, God receives the glory He deserves. Our church exists for the same reason that the world exists and that you exist, for the glory of God. As people get to know Jesus and, and are, are, are having their lives changed radically for the better and, and are baptized, as people grow in their knowledge and learn to more faithfully love one another and love their neighbors. So, so the goal of this message is to do what Jesus was so concerned to do, and that is to talk about and display, at least to glimpse, the glory of God. And uh, if this was a uh, like a like an online uh, um, clickbait title, I would I would say this is 14 things you didn't know about the glory of God, and and number seven will blow your mind. It's, it's sort of like a listicle where you just have this this barrage of things and you'll see those things pop up in your Facebook feed where it's like, you know, 21 things you didn't know about Survivor or whatever the case may be. 14 samples of the glory of God. First, the glory of God is eternal glory. John 17 and and and, and in all of these just know that I'm only giving you a smattering of what the scripture says, and uh, and we could have doubled this number, but I know uh, we don't have time for that. We would we would we would probably get too overwhelmed. Um, I I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. This is Jesus's high priestly prayer at the end of this last uh, night with his disciples. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence in his human nature with the glory that I had with you before the world existed in his divine nature. 
that this is an eternal glory. It wasn't a glory that started at one point and 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 sprang up. It is the eternal glory, the character and 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 the and the and the nature of God is a glorious character and a glorious nature. And when we see it, he is displayed. Second, the glory of God is trinitarian glory. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so the Father may be glorified in the Son. Why does Jesus answer prayer? To glorify the Father in the Son. John 16, 14, he, the Spirit, will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The glory of God is a Trinitarian glory as the Father pours life and love eternally into his Son in the eternal generation of the Son and the Father and the Son eternally breathe out the Spirit in the, the un, ineffable, the, 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 the un, uh, un, un, incomprehensible mystery of the triune nature of one God in three persons. That, that this is a glory where, where there is glory being shared. There is glory being given and received and the nature of God. Third, the glory of God is revealed glory. Uh, Moses um, goes, to, goes to the Lord and, uh, and, and says, Please, let me see your glory. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness, so goodness, glory, connected there, to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name, the Lord, Yahweh, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I have will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord Yahweh said, "This here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by... I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. So even even a veiled revelation of the of the glory of God is overwhelming to Moses. The face being the full presence of God and the back being the veiled presence of God and and Augustine correlated this to the the incarnation that that in the incarnation the glory of god was present but veiled through the the human nature of christ look at deuteronomy 5 24 you said look the lord our god has shown us his glory and greatness and we have heard his voice from the fire today we have seen that god speaks with a person yet he still lives his voice as from the fire is the revelation of his glory. Remember, Lord speaking to Moses on the, on the mountain and, and the burning bush and says, I am who I am. The glory of God is revealed glory. He tells us, he shows us and he tells us. Number four, the glory of God is global glory. Isaiah 6.3 says, the, the cherubim and, and, and the angels around the throne said to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, Yahweh Sabaoth. His glory fills the whole earth. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. The, the glory of God is global glory displayed in his creation that the sun and the stars and and the 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 wind and the waves and the palm trees and the and the mountains testify that we are in a world 
created by a God of glory. Number five, the glory of God is redemptive glory. Psalm 79.9 God of our salvation, help us for the glory of your name. Rescue us and atone for our sins, for your name's sake. So in salvation, in Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, God is glorifying his triune name. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the single name of the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune name of God is glorified as God the Father has sent God the Son into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit to save those who were lost. Six, the glory of God is incarnate glory. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only or only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The, the, the glory of God is displayed as God the Son took human nature into his person and, and became a human being. We talked about this in our midweek going deeper study, and if you didn't see that, it's on Facebook, YouTube, and our um, uh, podcast and website where, where we talk about God the Son, the, the, who God the Son is in his, in his divine nature and his human nature. It is an incarnate glory, the glory of God dwelling in a human being. Seven, the glory of God is crucified glory. And this is the one that I think, you know, if I was going to say, you know, like clickbait, this will blow your mind. Jesus said in John 12, 23, Jesus said and replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Get this life himself, God who is life, who is and has life in himself and of himself, that the, the only one who has life, let himself be put on the cross. That the glory of God is displayed in the most profound and humiliating display of weakness the world has ever seen. It is a counterintuitive glory. It is a glory of serving and loving and humility. The greatest and only great God, the only God, eternal life himself, who is life, gave himself. Eight, the glory of God is resurrection glory. See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. In his human nature, Christ's 
Christ was exalted to where he had not been before. In his divine nature, he was always with the Father, but in his human nature, he was lowly and a servant. But in his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, he was raised as the ascend, as the as the risen, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, King of all kings and King of all things. That the God Man rules as God and man. He rules as God over all he has created and saved, and he rules as man over all that he is. Ninth, the glory of God is ruling glory. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Now, we could have just sat for days in this passage, but we're going to read it and just let it hopefully get into our mind a little bit. Jesus, who in existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, instead emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So he subtracted by addition. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's actually a direct allusion to Isaiah 45, 23, where it says that the name of Yahweh, every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. So Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He is Yahweh in human nature who is now risen and exalted both in his human nature and in his divine nature. And he rules over all and all will praise him to the glory of God the Father. The glory of God is ruling glory. He rules over all things. He's in control. He's on his throne. So what do we have to be afraid of? Number 10, the glory of God is spiritual glory. And don't miss the capital S there. He will glorify, the Spirit will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. All three persons of the Trinity are as one working toward the singular glory of the name of God, yet glorifying one another in their personal relations. So the Spirit glorifies the Son as the Spirit comes into our hearts and our lives. What He does is He points us to Jesus. The Spirit doesn't make much of the Spirit. The Spirit makes much of the Son. This is how you know it's a true work of the Spirit. Is Christ exalted? Movements that make much of the Spirit to the lessening of Christ are not truly moving in step with the Spirit because the Spirit comes to exalt the name of Jesus. Eleventh, the glory of God is congregational glory. Haggai 2, 7 through 9 says, and if you missed our series, Time to Build, on in Haggai, um, go back. I, th- it's, I think they're on the website. Um, it was a really great study uh, couple, I guess it was about a year and a half ago we did. It's the story of the, the, the Jewish people coming back from Babylon and rebuilding the temple after it had been destroyed. And 
the Lord says, I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. Speaking of the rebuilt temple, the silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, Yahweh Sabaoth. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Thus says the Lord. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first. Well, that's not a prophecy of the physical building. It is a prophecy of the spiritual temple, the church. Look at Ephesians 3. Paul says, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So this, this, this thing that God is doing that he'd always planned but is now revealed, this is so, Paul's ministry is so, that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does this mean? It means that our local church is the epicenter of God's glory on earth. That the local church in little pockets and embassies all over South Florida, all over the United States of America, all over North America, all over the globe are the, is, the, is the epicenter of the glory of God on earth. The glory of God is congregational glory. Twelfth, the glory of God is missionary glory. Psalm 86, 9, all the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and I will honor and will honor your name. This is what God is doing in the world. He wants to make disciples of all nations. He wants us to, to see people come to know Christ in our neighborhoods and in the nations. Malachi 1.11, my name will be great among the nations. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is literally, my name will be glorified among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. His name will be great among the nations. This is why we do missionary work. This is why we give to missions. This is why we, we do short-term missions trips. This is why we support missionaries. This is why we consider whether we're called to go so that the name of God will be known. 13. The glory of God is transforming glory. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we behold the glory of God, we are changed to become more like that glory. Just like you can't be in the sun without getting burn or tan, you can't be in the presence of God without becoming more like God, without having his glory have an impact on who you are and what you do. And he makes us glorious in his perfect timing. Finally, the glory of God is future glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not give up 
even though our outer person is being destroyed, our, our human body, our inner person, our soul, is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Remember, the Hebrew word for glory is weight or gravity or gravitas or heaviness. An eternal glory of glory, a, a, a kabod of glory. So that we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I know some of you are suffering God is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Eternal in comparison to momentary. Weight in comparison to light. Glory in comparison to affliction. Momentary light affliction will yield to the eternal weight of glory. Revelation 21, 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. Glory of God is future glory. We wait for the glory. It was a fire hose. Are you feeling overwhelmed yet? I hope you are because that's the point. Sometimes on Friday nights, we have uh, what we call our five family Friday fiesta. So the five of us will, Laura will make uh, this, uh, this baked chicken fajitas uh, stuff with, with peppers and onions. And we'll have, you know, around the, the, the table with seasoned chicken and, and bowls of cheese and pots of rice and beans and jars of salsa and sour cream. Uh, one time we were doing this recently and just enjoying being together and we're sitting there and I thought, I wonder. So I asked the kids, who do you think daddy's favorite theologians are? Now, because of this strange COVID season, they've been listening to my sermons for uh, quite a few months. And they know that in my sermons, I tend to, will quote, you know, important people who have important things and wise things to say about the Bible. And, and they, their answers just warmed my heart because they got it right. One said, Augustine, the... African bishop, the pastor of a, of a sort of out-of-the-way town in Africa in the 400s AD. One of the greatest, if not the greatest theologian in the history of the church was a, an African pastor in an out-of-the-way town. And they said Bavink, who's a, who was a, a Dutch theologian in the, the late 1800s and early 1900s, who wrote... Um, amazing works of theology that are that are still so uh, powerful today. And they said Aquinas, unlike Augustine, Aquinas was a professor, and a and a eight hundred years later was a was um, a monk, and was just living in the 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 monastery and the university setting and studying and teaching and. And each of these men were in very different times and very different places, but I find them each so helpful. And if you've listened to any of our sermons, you know I will quote them uh, at different points. You know, my um, 
my philosophy of preaching is simply to open the Bible and just, just say what it says as faithfully and as clearly as I can in a way that isn't just like a dry running commentary, but actually connects with the nitty gritty stuff of our lives. Like what is the fact that Paul said this in 80, you know, 60 mean for the fact that we live in 2020 or 2021 in in a global pandemic what what is this how does this connect to us and as as we as we go through the the, the bible i try to make it clear um that also we are so blessed because we don't have to try to figure out this Bible thing on our own, that we stand on the shoulders of giants for hundreds and thousands of years who have been studying and praying. And, and so I, I, I'm so grateful for the heritage we have as Christians, for some of these, these people who, who teach us, much like I teach our church. The, these, these great uh, Bible teachers from the past teach us as well. And so that's why I quote them so often and try to help us see what they saw. Well, Thomas Aquinas, uh, who wrote an, an amazing commentary on John, his his commentary on John, which was a series of of academic of lectures in the university, and then uh, uh, Augustine's commentary on John, which is actually a series of sermons he preached his his little church there in Hippo, modern day Algeria, Africa, um, have been the two most helpful resources as as we've studied the Gospel of John together. But there's this interesting story toward the end of the life of Thomas Aquinas. And uh, he, he was in worship, and he had an experience of the glory of God. And you have to understand that Thomas Aquinas was maybe the most intelligent man in the history of the church. He was, he, some stories say, would be dictating three different things to three different people. He would tell them one sentence, they'd write it down. He would tell them one sentence, they'd write it down. And he'd tell them one sentence. I can't even keep one thing in my mind, let alone three brilliant things at the same time. But after that experience, after writing thousands of words in, in the unfinished Summa Theologiae, which is one of the great works of theology in the history of the church, one of his, someone came up to him and said, Thomas, you need to finish your work. And he said this, I can't because all I have written seems like straw to me. After he has seen this vision, this glimpse of the glory of God, he said the greatest theological writing he had done was like dry grass that would just burn up and wither away. He never finished, not because he ran out of time, but because, as the song says, the things of earth had grown strangely dim in the light of the glory and grace of God. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, I can't say it any better than Pastor Ray Ortland says, and that is this, stare at the glory of God until you see it. Stare at the glory of God until you see it. You need to stop sampling the glory of God and start buying. You need to you need to go deep with the ordinary means of God's grace. You need to get regularly into the scripture. You need to have a regular pattern of prayer. You need to serve with others and you need to do that in the context of community in the local church and in that God will begin to let you glimpse his glory. God designed us for life, 
an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.